Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Kara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. We're the co-hosts of the Puberty Podcast. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. I feel like recently I've been in this middle ground where I'm stuck between two emotions that are kind of like the arch nemesis of each other. So the first example is gratitude versus guilt. You know, I'm feeling like very guilty for the good things that I have. And I know that I should shift that to gratitude and I should be more happy and thankful and like feel blessed for the awesome things in life. But I can't help but like shift to that negative guilt. And it's the same thing when it comes to joy versus fear. I was literally talking to Aubrey about this on my birthday just two weeks ago, like feeling so happy about everything and the people that I love and my relationships. But then I can't like suppress this feeling of fear of like, what if something happens to someone that I love? And I was talking to Aubrey about this because I was like, am I losing it? Or do you also go to the pessimistic side of things? And she was like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because I feel the same way. I thought I was the only one that was like secretly like so negative. And then we were both just kind of laughing and also like crying a little bit about how we're so overwhelmed with the good feelings that we can't help but feel the negative feelings. I don't know if that's making any sense to you. I hope that it is. Well, I I hope that it's making sense and you're like, Vic, I'm computing, but I don't hope that you're feeling that way because I hope you can just feel the joy and the gratitude. But anyways, that's a little warm up for the type of conversation I'm going to have today with Jessamine. Gosh, our guest is so amazing. 
Jessamine Stanley is our guest today. Jessamine is a yoga teacher, body positivity advocate, and writer. She gained recognition through her Instagram account, showing herself doing yoga as a plus size queer woman of color. She founded the Underbelly, which is a wellness brand that encourages people not to aspire to perfection, but just authenticity. I love Jessamine because she's really disrupting the space and the types of conversations that she's facilitating are those around race, self-love, capitalism, sexuality, all through the lens of spirituality and yoga. Jessamine is fantastic. I'm so grateful she sat down with us today to share her wisdom. And if you're looking to get connected with Jessamine, I will have linked some of her accounts in the description. And she also has written some phenomenal books, so you can purchase those as well. Before we get started, I just want to shout out Elma. Hi, Elma. She left the most sweet five-star review. It says, RealPod has helped me in so many ways. I was struggling with body image issues for the last two years, but I recently started listening to RealPod. And one day, a few weeks ago, it was like a light switch clear clicked on in my head. I realized that I can view myself as a work in progress, aren't we all? But I can still love and accept myself along the way. Thank you for your work. RealPod is helping so many people. Elma, my heart is like bursting out of my chest reading this. I am so happy. And honestly, exactly what you talked about is pretty much the premise of our conversation today. So if y'all are listening and you're like, I want the light switch on like Elma had or Elma girl, if you're tuning in today and you're like ready for more gear up because this conversation is so, so good. And we are talking all about body acceptance and really getting connected with who we are. If you want to be the special shout out on next week's episode, be sure to head over to iTunes and leave me a review. It really helps out the show. And I love hearing from you. Thank you to each and every one of you for choosing RealPod. I know you have many, many choices and it's never lost on me how special it is to have you tune in every single Wednesday. Without further ado, we're going to dive into this episode with the one and only Jessamine Stanley. Jessamine, thank you so much for joining me on RealPod. How is your spirit today? Thank you so much for having me. I always feel like every day that I am in every emotion. And I think sometimes we kind of are trained to think that we should be feeling one emotion and that that emotion specifically should be good or happy or all of these things. And I feel like I'm always existing in all of it. And I feel a lot of gratitude to be alive and to be present and to have literally everything that I need. But even in that, the truth is that I am experiencing every emotion. And I don't know if that means that my spirit is heavy so much as it's here. So I would say that I am here. How are you doing? Oh, oh my gosh, that was beautiful. Holy mother of we are we're getting into it. That, was, that could have been the podcast. Just gonna end it right there. That was beautiful. And I honestly, the way that you speak, Jessamine, I was listening to you talking to your partner and you were explaining just the way that you assess the whether it's the arguments or the discussions that you you have. And I was just like, wow, this human has done the inner work. <laughs> is doing. My goodness. I'm in a constant state of evolution, you know? Yes. I love that. And I'm trying to remember that every single day. My spirit is good. I am feel like I am experiencing a bunch of different emotions right now. I think the line for me between gratitude and guilt is Mm. very blurry. 
And that's something that I've been kind of tugging with, you know, Mm -hmm. to be grateful for the things that you have, but then feel this guilt Mm -hmm. to have things or to have privilege and to think of those who don't. So for me, my G's, they're all messed up. (laughs) Mm, My goodness. I so feel that. And I was talking to my partner recently about how taking things for granted and feeling like, you know, sometimes I'll just take so much of my bounty in this life for granted. And she was like, you know, I feel like we should all be so blessed that we would take anything for granted that sometimes whenever you are at at your lowest point, the great joy in this life would be to take something for granted or to like to have gratitude or to experience joy. And I feel like that's so much of it for me right now is just trying to experience joy and like just be like okay the sky is falling it is actively falling there are beautiful things here in this exact moment and trying to remember that and that it's okay to experience that I feel like I just identify so much with what you're saying and it feels like so much of the journey is just being like existing in that shaky middle part of like Mm -hmm. this does not all make sense together it doesn't. And and I think where I get caught up is if the sky is falling and I'm trying to find the silver lining, it's you can't help but also think about how there are people who can't find a silver lining. So then you just feel bad that you're even experiencing joy. And honestly, <laughs> Jasmine, what you said in the very beginning of, I think you used the word should, it was something about how I should feel or you should feel one emotion and you don't. You know, something that I think a lot of your work communicates is what is said narrative? Why are we listening to it? And mm-hmm. what actually is is the now or is what you're feeling? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just from like a body image standpoint as well, which I know is a big part of your message. Gosh, there's so so much about how we should look, what we should be, what we should wear, what we should and shouldn't do based on the body that we have, who should and shouldn't love us, how we should and shouldn't feel. It's ridiculous. No wonder it's so confusing for us to sit here and try to think about <laughs> how to do it. Literally. Exactly. Literally. And it's made that way on purpose. But I, I think that that is the journey of this life is to say like, okay, so this is the vessel that I was granted. It looks many different ways. It can and it will and it should look so many different ways. And that that is indicative of where I am in my life, that if I am growing, then my body will change and evolve. And that the journey for me is not to like, it's not even about liking it. It's not about like loving my body or like really having any particular emotion toward it. It's just about accepting it. And just saying, this is what it is. And that it is such a gift to even have one, to even have this vessel. And that I feel like is, that's always like the sticky part of body acceptance, that it's not really about whether whether you like it or you hate it at all. It's just about whether or not you accept it. Right. That it's just there. And not only from just, you know, this opening conversation with you, but obviously from being a fan of everything you put out there, I know that this this mindset isn't one that you always had. You know, what would you say your initial feelings were when you were becoming aware of your body? Absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a 
predominantly white community that was very thin-centric. The idea of what it was to be beautiful was very specific, and it had nothing to do with my fat, black, queer body. And I like was obsessed with weight loss through my teen years and then into college. And um, when I was in college, that's when I really started to learn more about fat acceptance and fat liberation. And it came through being on LiveJournal and Tumblr and the work of people like Marianne Kirby and Leslie Kinzel. And I started to really think about the way that I talk about my body and the way that I talk to myself about my body. And, but even that, like, you know, I was reading a lot. I also got really into fat fashion bloggers. So like Gabby Gregg, Nicolette Mason, and Nadia Abelosan were so important to me in the way that they processed their own bodies. And that was so much of the journey. And that's really something that I would recommend to anyone who is on that path of self-acceptance is to inundate yourself with people who are also doing that work so that y'all can be in community together. Because it is very lonely to break down the barriers within yourself on your own with nothing to cushion. But when I started practicing yoga, though, that did have a really profound impact on how I came into contact with my body and also really altered the way that I understand movement and the importance of movement and also the way that I connect to my spiritual body, to my subtle body. And all of that really came into play with body acceptance in a very profound way. But the benchmark for me, like when I was a kid, I definitely hated my body. I definitely thought that there was something fundamentally wrong with me. And I've always thought that like body shaming was one of the first things that I learned. And so it's just one, it's just a part of me. It's like an addiction. And like any addiction, it's something that I have to live with. It's not something that I'm going to just get over one day. It's something that is a part of me. And so I try to own being a body shamer as much as possible so that I can accept that as a part of who I am as well. I am so fascinated by this because, first of all, obviously, I think I relate and I bet a little bit of everyone relates growing up in a society that was like very fat phobic and just got you thinking this way. Even when it comes up for me now with all the work I'm trying to do against it, I like have to sit there and 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 talk myself through where these thoughts are coming from. Right. So Mm. I think it's powerful though, that you say like, I'm a body shamer because I don't think anyone nowadays wants to be associated with body shaming. So I think it's very powerful that you kind of acknowledge this deep rooted conditioning that has you shaming, whether it's your body or or other bodies, how'd you even put the words to to that. And I know before you've also referenced it, like alcoholics are yeah. addicted to this substance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm addicted to body shaming. Exactly. Yeah. I've always thought of it as like alcoholism, that it's like, if you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic always. So I own it in that same way. And yoga has had a huge role in my acceptance of that. So yoga means union ultimately. Like it's not, and I think that yoga is also usually understood as being like, gymnastics, essentially. It's all about exercise and what your body looks like in certain postures. But 
It means union. It means to unite the different parts of yourself, the specifically the parts of yourself that don't make sense. So like if it's two parts of yourself that are in complete and utter conflict with one another, that is what yoga is going to force you to unite. And so for me to accept myself as a body shamer feels like a really important practice of yoga. It feels like to say, okay, this is complicated and it smells bad and I don't like it and it makes me really unhappy to think about it or to look at it, but it's also true. And so if it's true, that must mean that it's a part of who I am. It must mean that it's important that it's uh, crucial to how I understand this world and how I show up. And every time that I work toward acceptance of some piece of myself like that, it always feels like a deep ownership of myself. It's a reclamation of self. It's like to say that no one else is driving this machine. This is me. This is mine. And it's a way of taking responsibility for myself. And so to say that I'm a body shamer is to say like, no, this is who I am. This is, and you don't have to like it. This is such a, I feel like the reason that nobody wants to call themselves a body shamer is because it's not like a fun club to be in and it's kind of lonely and sad. And I think that that fear of like standing on your own and saying like, no, this is for me and it doesn't really matter if anyone else likes it. That's the part that I'm really trying to reckon with. And so that's where that ownership of the phrase comes from for me. But I agree with you. I think that it is a very unusual thing to feel like, you know, yeah, I'm going to own this unpleasant part of myself. But I think that's what's always being asked of us, especially in these situations where like we're feeling so embarrassed about a part of ourselves, whether that's like internalized racism or, you know, internalized, I, I hesitate on it. Also se- internalized sexism, homophobia, all these things that like are not really very trendy to say that you are. It's not particularly trendy to say that you're racist, but the reality is that we're all racist and we're all living in a structure of white supremacy. And to own it and to look at every single part of it is a step closer to healing it. But if you don't look at it fully, then you can't heal it. So back to accepting that internalized fat phobia and saying like, I am a body shamer, that feels like a step toward that healing journey for me. This podcast episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, I have been going back to therapy and it has truly been so great. I can't even remember the weeks that I wasn't going because there's always so much to learn. It's this opportunity for you to be reflective and think about your own life, your own feelings, your own emotions, and also hear from someone else who is an expert at this stuff and can help you. Now, when it comes to therapy, there might be a few things that keep people from going. The first being, I can't afford it. I don't know how to find a therapist in my budget. I don't know who to call. I don't know how I would get started. Well, BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you get 10% off your first month by being a RealPod listener if you go to betterhelp.com slash RealPod. And you will be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. They make it so easy to seek help. 
BetterHelp is also customized online therapy. It offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone or even turn your camera on if you don't want to. It doesn't require having a car, a bike, and needing to go somewhere. BetterHelp is truly making it as easy as possible for you to seek help and talk to someone from the comfort of your own home. And look, you might be thinking, do I need to talk to someone? I don't know. But at the end of the day, life can be overwhelming and many people are burnt out without even knowing it. If you're feeling unmotivated, helpless, trapped, detached, fatigued, burnt out, talking to someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. I'm a big advocate for not waiting until you hit rock bottom to then go, but to just go whenever you're feeling curious or like you want to better understand yourself, your thoughts, and your feelings. So head over to betterhelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash RealPod. That's betterhelp.com slash RealPod for 10% off your first month and to be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Betterhelp.com slash RealPod. Not to invalidate it all, but I can't help but want to ask this question because I'm curious your answer. What about just the language of like, I am someone who body shames or has body shamed Mm. as opposed to the like, I am a body shamer. I feel like a Mm. lot of the mindfulness readings and teachings I've explored, I've talked about how we experience things, but they don't have to be us. Yes. Ah, this is so (laughs) real. And, but so, okay. (laughs) I think that when we don't accept it as a part, it's, well, okay. First of all, I think it's all things. I think it's that you are both not the thing and also the thing at the same time. (laughs) But if you say from the jump off, this doesn't really have anything to do with me. It's like putting a wall between yourself and actually experiencing the fullness of it. But in the experience of the fullness of it and saying, I am this, this is who I am, then that's where you can really see that separation and see that actually I'm not that. I'm not that at all. I'm just passing through. I'm just moving through. And that ultimately it's just experiences. Everything in this life is just some kind of experience to show me that, that I'm not all of the, I'm not the emotion. I'm something else. So I agree with you completely. (laughs) But I think that that's something that's kind of hard for us in capitalism to like really understand about the non-duality of this world is that it is both all of us and also none of us at the same time. It's so complex. I'm like getting flashbacks to my like darkest year of life where I was like, you know, when you start to realize all these things like, Mm -hmm. holy shit, you know, and it's overwhelming. But it also can be beautiful because when you if you persevere and you push through, you're on the other side with so much more peace. And I think learning and you're inquisitive and there's always more to learn. Now, obviously, to get to this place of even having conversations like this, it comes from past struggle or a past time when like you maybe you weren't quote unquote awake. Mm. I can't imagine your first yoga class, you walked in and were like, let's connect all parts of me, right? (laughs) What was that first class like? And how'd you even end up there? Totally. So my very first yoga class was when I was in high school. 
my aunt was obsessed with a style of yoga called Bikram yoga. It's like um, a style of hot yoga. I've and, done um, Bikram. Yeah, <laughs> it's maybe maybe everybody who's listening has. If you haven't, it's the room is heated to about like 100 ish, 104 degrees, something like that. And you practice the same 26 postures two times in sequence. And um, it can be deeply cleansing. And it also makes people like evangelical about the practice. And my aunt was, she drank the Kool-Aid. She was like, you need to go to this yoga class. It's amazing. And I was like, I got nothing better to do. So why not go to this hot yoga class? And I just remember everything about it being terrible. Like it was so hot in the room that I felt like, I was literally not going to make it. The postures all seemed impossible to me. The breath work seemed impossible to me. It also smelled really bad because, again, it's like 100-ish degrees, so everyone is sweating profusely, and the room is carpeted, so the sweat that has been soaked up over years is just so intense. To, oh, my the God, whole experience. Gross. It's a deeply <laughs> sensory experience. And... Um, I remember I made it like a third of the way through the class and I walked out and I was like, I'm not doing this ever again. And then when I was in graduate school, so this is some years later, a friend of mine was really into Bikram yoga as well. And she was like, oh, my God, come to class with me. And by that point, I was going through a lot in my life. I was very depressed for a variety of reasons. And I was just like... I'm not doing that. I had tried yoga before. And so I was like, this isn't for me. You mentioned, obviously, when you were younger, being very aware of your aesthetic and comparing that to kind of what was accepted in the world. Mm. A lot of times people are intimidated to go to classes for the first time because of like, what is everyone wearing or what do I envision a classic yogi to look like? I mean, it sounds like you didn't enjoy the actual experience of the class, but where were you at? with your relationship with your body? And was that playing a role in the dislike of it? I mean, definitely, I felt like alienated in the experience, or I felt very lonely in the experience. I was frequently the only Black person in class. I was usually one of the only fat people. It was not the kind of space where like I saw myself reflected. And by the time that I, I, I don't remember ever going to yoga specifically thinking like maybe my body will look different or like I should look like everyone who's in here. But I did feel like when I was there, hmm, I noticed that I don't look like anyone else in here. And when I was younger and I went to the class, I was also one of the youngest people there. So it was it didn't feel like a space that I was supposed to be in. But I didn't realize then just how much the postures had nothing to do with it. Ultimately, every posture was just a vehicle for me to have this conversation. You said earlier um, something about curiosity. And I was thinking, like, that is really what the practice offers. It just lets you ask a question and be open to not having the answer. So when I would practice the postures, I would be so judgmental and critical of myself. And I would, like, look around at everyone else in the room and be like, I don't look like everybody in here. Like, why should, why am I even here? Everybody can see that I shouldn't be here. The teacher knows that I don't know what I'm doing. And I would be like, just thinking like, you know, you should just stop. And I think this is a pretty common experience. People either, either in class or before you even try to go to a studio or turn on a YouTube video, you'll be like, I, I don't, I know I'm not going to be able to do this. So I'm not even going to try. And I had this moment of thinking like, 
you know, you could just try. Even if you fall down and even if everyone in here knows that you don't know what you're doing and, you know, you don't look like everyone else and the teacher knows you don't know what you're doing, maybe you could still just try. And maybe everyone will see you embarrass yourself and you'll fall down and, oh my God, it'll be so awful. Maybe you could still just try. And that idea of just try without any fear of what's coming next, that was really transformational for me. It was not like I went and I was just like, oh my God, look how easily my body can flow into these postures. It was like, this is a space where it is okay for me to just be myself. It's okay for me to fall down. It's okay for me to make a mistake. It, the yoga presses your self-criticism up against a wall and makes you really look at it. It's not even about letting go of it so much as accepting it and noticing it. And so that, in so many ways, is really why I continue to come back to my practice, even to this, literally to this exact day. I could keep going back because it is that place where I can let loose and be free and be myself and just let the chips fall where they may, a place where it is okay to make a mistake. It's okay to look at the truth. Okay. I feel like this is such a great learning lesson here because like five minutes ago, you were saying you didn't feel welcomed there. You didn't feel safe in that space. And now you're describing the experience where you feel like it's okay to make mistakes and you feel like you're accepted. What's the Mm. piece that switched, right? It's, it's you, correct? It is. And I think it is also an understanding of the practice that goes beyond the visual that goes beyond like what it looks like and certainly what it looks like to anyone other than me. My practice didn't really start to. So that was when I first had that realization, it was in a studio setting and it did make me continue going to yoga class. And I didn't understand it in this like kind of esoteric way. Then at the time I was just like, this is making me feel good. I was feeling bad before. So I'll keep doing this thing that makes me feel good. I couldn't really afford to like practice in studios, but I was able to have a work study at the studio that I was practicing at. And so that that meant that I had to practice regularly. I had to practice several times a week and I had to help clean the studios, but I could practice for free. But what it really meant was that I was just practicing way more. And um, practicing yoga really gave me a lot of confidence to leave graduate school, to move to a new town. And when I moved, I couldn't afford to practice yoga in studios at all. And so, and I really, for a few weeks, just stopped practicing. And during that time, a bunch of stuff happened. Life was life. And the things was life. Life was, if you've, if you've been alive, you know how life can life. So uh, (laughs) it started life. And, and I was like, I found myself pulling back into that spiral that I'd been in before I started practicing. And I was like, what was making me feel good before? Was it yoga? Okay, let me just see if I can start doing this again at the house. And so I had my dad's old Pilates mat and my partner and I were living in a pretty small apartment, but I would like push all the furniture out of this one corner of the living room. And I would just do the the postures from the Bikram yoga sequence that I felt comfortable practicing by myself without a teacher present. And it was literally like eight postures, but I thought of it as like my yoga medicine. And that practice of being at home with myself, not in a room with a bunch of other people, where I'm thinking about like, 
who's here and what are they doing and what should I be doing? I'm just in my space by myself. It's okay to fart. It's okay to fall down. It's okay to like to make sounds that I might not make in a group setting. And that freedom and spaciousness, that is really what the turning point was for me, where I was able to be like, okay, so it's okay to just do my thing here. It's okay to just like really be and exist. And I think that's something that is still a practice for me, just to keep coming back to the fact that, no, it's okay. It's okay to to do these things because it's not just about like what it looks like on the yoga mat. It's not about doing the practice correctly. It's about giving myself permission to exist. And this is something that I think is one of the many deeper lessons of the practice for me personally is to just say, I don't have to apologize for existing. I don't have to make any kind of explanation. I can just be here because I am here. And reminding myself of that regularly is something that is really necessary in order for me to do literally anything else in this life. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Macy's. Woohoo! Shout out Macy's. We love Macy's. And I want to tell you about something so cool that's happening every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. You can join Macy's every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. for Macy's Live, which is hosted by top fashion and beauty experts and influencers who will be covering everything you need to express your personal style. Tune into lifestyle at Macy's.com slash Macy's Live. So once again, that's Macy's.com slash Macy's Live for inspiration, insights, and all the deets you need on how to make the latest trends work for you and how to find new twists on your go-to faves. Y'all know I've been trying to improve my style game. I'm actually feel like I'm doing pretty good. And I love these Macy's lives because there's always something new to learn. Not to mention, you can check out live beauty at Macy's.com slash Macy's live for insider tips on new beauty releases, how tos and must have products that your routine needs now. I also have been improving my makeup routine. I am so aligned with Macy's right now and they know what we need. We need style help. We need makeup help. And Macy's is bringing you all the tea. So head to Macy's.com slash Macy's live every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. for Macy's live or also just head to Macy's.com slash Macy's live whenever for insider tips on new beauty releases. Once again, that's Macy's.com, M-A-C-Y-S.com slash Macy's, M-A-C-Y-S live, L-I-V-E, Macy's.com slash Macy's live. Something that's been so powerful for me in accepting my body, and I agree with you to what you said in the beginning, not forcing myself to love it. I'm not the type of person to stand in the mirror and say affirmations. Like, I don't want it to be about my body. That to me, that might work for someone, but that is still hyping up your appearance as like something that's important. And the most, I guess, I don't even know how to put it into words. I'll just describe it. Sitting on, this is so, this is, this is too much. I love when you're like peeing and you're naked. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we pee naked. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. your stomach is rolled and you see the hair Mm -hmm. on your happy trail and Mm -hmm. you're alone in your bathroom and, and your boobs are saggy and they're Mm -hmm. just falling there and you're just peeing and you're like, this is me. (laughs) Right. 
I have loved just like sitting in my body is how I would mm-hmm. maybe say it. Just sitting in your body and mm-hmm. not having all the thoughts go off about everything you need to change and everything about it that is disgusting and repulsive. And oh my gosh, when I sat in my body in the same way in high school, oh, I was so insecure with no one around just because of seeing the parts of it that I thought were so not okay. Mm-hmm. And so now as an adult in this new space to just just sit in my body. And even in like a practice like yoga, when you're twisting and you're turning and you're feeling rolls and you're feeling the movement and being okay with it, it's just so freeing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is to just sit with yourself and sit with your body and let it all be there. And the lack of explanation, I think, is really helpful for me. And I think that it's so interesting. I think the explanation comes from wanting to make other people feel comfortable or wanting to make it okay for another human. And I think that for me to be able to say, like, it really doesn't matter how another human being feels about it. It's just about how I feel. That is the, that's really the ticket. And I've often thought of it as the difference between how do I look and how do I feel that how I look and how I'm perceived by another human being is so much less important than how I feel and what is coming up for me. And and if I feel good, that means that I look good. But if I can start with how do I feel, that will inform, well, give way more helpful information. What about weeding through how you actually feel versus getting bogged down with someone saying, oh, I don't care what people think of me, but I don't like, like they have the internalized body shaming, right? Yes. I think that that is such an interesting framing of, I don't care how, I don't, I don't really care. That's not true. (laughs) Like we all kind of care. So I feel like that's the first stopping point. It's like, do you really not care or do you wish you didn't care? And I think that sometimes I at least will say, I don't care when I care the most. And so to say like, I do care and I have all of these feelings and some of the feelings are good. Some of the feelings are sad. Some of the feelings are happy, but they're all there. It's making so much more spaciousness and so much more opportunity and, and just really allowing for a depth of experience that isn't there when we just paint with primary colors. When you mentioned it's only about you and not how anyone else feels, I actually wrote down this quote you said recently because I thought it was so freaking true. It was enjoyment of swimsuit season Mm. doesn't have to do with anyone being sexually attracted to you. (laughs) Absolutely. Literally. I mean, that is like, why is that is the truth? But everyone, the whole motivation behind a spring break body and your bikini is like the photos because online or if this person's going to like you like, and I'll say it one more time. Jessamine said enjoyment of swim season doesn't have to do with anyone being sexually attracted to you. You can be sexually attracted to yourself. That's yeah. <laughs> fine, you know, but that's always downplayed for us is like how we feel about ourselves. And I think especially in terms of beauty and physical attraction, it always comes down to what somebody else thinks. And the interesting thing about that to me is that the other person that you're so concerned about is thinking that they they wonder how you feel about them. So it's this like we're pointing like finger guns at each other about like something that we're experiencing equally. And I think that to say 
you know, how do I feel? How do I look? Do I look good? Am I looking good? Do I feel good? And to ask those questions of myself is so powerful. And it means that I'm like, I'm the one driving this machine. I'm the one that really matters. It's This is the take that really matters. And swimsuit season in particular is a tough one because we all want to be attractive to other people and we want to be seen as worthwhile. And I think that when you can say, I feel good, therefore I know I look good, that gives other people the information that you look good. So it's like a, you end up getting what you want because you believe in yourself. Well, and also just confidence shines through and who's not attracted to confidence, you know? Totally. And I think that that confidence though is so tricky because it comes from a sense of surrender to the idea that, that any of the judgment of another really matters. You just say, you know what? I don't really care how anyone else feels. I don't really know. I don't really care. But how I feel, I feel like I look good. There is so much power that comes through that. And that that's what that confidence is, is saying like, I, I got it. I can hold this. I can do this. I'm wearing the superhero cape. I am the the master of this universe anyway. How have you been able to deal with on the other side of that, whether it's people leaving mean comments or mm. disapproving of your confidence or your body acceptance? What are the tools that allow you to block it out and stay on the path you're on? You know, I always feel like negative feedback from other people is a reflection of how they feel about themselves. So in the same way that like if I'm feeling like I can only control how I'm feeling, other people can only really control how they're feeling. And if they're feeling bad about themselves, that means that they're going to reflect that negativity onto me. And I have a choice of whether or not I would like to be a part of that cycle or if I would like to dig into my own confidence. And so that surrender to the emotions is so crucial for me. That is really the the biggest tool is to say, you know what? I give up. I am not going to fight a person who wants to be negative toward me. And actually, I'm just going to let whatever it is that they are feeling wash over me. I'm not going to pretend that I made of Teflon. I'm going to feel it. And in feeling it, what always comes up for me is deep welling compassion for whoever it is. I think like, because the only people who really say negative things, they are going through some bad shit in their lives. Something has happened where they're just not feeling good. And maybe the straw that broke the camel's back was seeing me living my best life. Yeah. Offensive to them. And they felt like, it meant that they can't live their best lives or that that I am flying in the face of all that they know to be true. And I understand that feeling. I know what it is to feel like down on myself. And so when I experience that from other people, whether that's comments on the internet or comments in real life or whatever, I just try to really feel into the compassion that is there for this other human being and um, make space for them to have and hold whatever feelings they need to have. And at the exact same time, recognize that I don't have to be a part of that. And I don't have to 
allow my day to be derailed by whether or not another person is having a bad day. And so my go-to tactic is to just say nothing at all. Recently, I have gotten more into replying to people in general. For years, I have been very hesitant to reply to comments because I think that it positive or negative feedback, positive feedback has, I think, sometimes as much of a negative impact as negative feedback. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's not in my best, in, it's not in the best interest of my mental health to be really engaged with feedback from other people in general. But recently I've been, I think it's the pandemic, honestly, and like feeling an intense increased connectivity with other human beings or a desire for it anyway. And so that has led me to respond to things more. And when I receive negative feedback, I just think like, you know, I hope you're having a good day or I hope that maybe you can start having a good day or or I hope that the love that I'm feeling for myself can reverberate and can come through to impact whoever you are out there in the world. And I feel a lot of gratitude for the people who bullied me when I was a kid because I I was bullied a lot in middle school in particular. And I didn't know it at the time, but everyone who bullies is being bullied by somebody else. And so I see in those people the pain that they were experiencing. And I can know that pain in my own life and just allow that compassion to really take the wheel. You're such a good person. I am not. I think I'm just like everybody else. I'm, I don't want to make it seem like I'm more nice than I am because there are definitely days where people have tried it. And I've been like, I just, I cannot. Something else too that I feel like I've seen a lot of fat activists and people in the body image, body positivity space doing is taking back ownership over like words or things that are supposed to make them feel bad or anyone feel bad. And obviously throughout the conversation, you've used the term fat, whether it's referring to fat activists or fat bodies. And there are probably people listening who are not yet like up to speed. And Mm. they're saying, oh no, Jessamine, don't say that about yourself. Right. And they think they're being nice, but really they're just also communicating that this is maybe a way that they don't think someone should say that they look. So when did you first discover the fact that fat is not a bad word and Mm. what's your relationship like been with that word? So I think that I first started to really hear fat people calling themselves fat when I listened to Marianne Kirby and Leslie Kinzel's podcast, Two Whole Cakes. This would have been like in 2010-ish, sometime around then. And I was just like so amazed by the idea that it was okay to use the word fat. It was okay to own that as an identity. And what it always comes down to for me when I say fat is like, what does the word fat mean in the dictionary? It means large. Okay. By definition, I am fat. That is that is a fact. You could look it up. And so if I say I am fat, that doesn't mean that I am stupid. It doesn't mean that I'm ugly. It doesn't mean that I don't deserve to be alive. It just means that I'm fat. And to me, to own that word and to really just use it as a piece of my power It's like taking back a weapon that was being used against me. And to really say that 
fat is beautiful. Fat is smart. Fat does deserve to be alive. It's very powerful and it makes space for other people to do the same thing and to say that it's okay to be fat and that there is no shame associated with that and that who you are shouldn't have to be something that you feel ashamed to accept. And how do you feel about other people using that word? Like, for example, for me, like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's and this is once again, the internalized body. Like, there's a part of me that still feels like it is it's bad to call someone that even though I know totally. on paper it's not because totally. I just heard your beautiful speech and I agree with you. But then in conversation, if I'm to say I interviewed this fat activist, I'm mm-hmm. I'm worried people are going to think, oh, Victor, you're, you know, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that this is like the crux of the issue ultimately is like, well, I mean, it, it also happens with black. I noticed that people are like afraid to use the word black or they're like, what does that mean if I'm saying that? And I just feel like, well, first of all, my journey is not your journey or anybody else's. So like what I need to do is not related to what other people need to do. And I think if you don't feel comfortable using the word fat, then don't use it. But I do think it's a very interesting question to say, why do you feel uncomfortable using the word fat? Where does that come from? Is it because you think that fat means stupid? Is it because you think that fat means ugly? Is it because in spite of my beautiful speech, it it's still like, I don't feel comfortable using that word. That question is so important and so it is the whole reason. It is the reason to do anything. It's just to ask the question. Yeah. And I feel like I use the word fat openly to provoke that question and to say, is it right? Is it wrong? I'm not really making a statement in either direction. I'm doing what I need to do for me that I know, but it's not really about whether or not it works for anyone else. So just asking the question, I think is really powerful. Yeah. There's so much to it. Like even as you just pose out those, you know, hypothetical theoretical questions, I'm like, yeah, what is it? I I think maybe the, with the word fat, it's like one, I grew up feeling like it was an insult. My brothers called me that it was like a huge dig. I would cry, you know, Mm -hmm. it's an insult in movies. So, so that's trained in me. And then I think with the word black, I'm Mm -hmm. almost like, that's not my place. I like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's weird to think about saying that and the power I, I think and the knowledge and the allyship and the things that need to come with with it, I don't know if I'm like worthy to just refer to someone as a black woman or a black man. You know, it's also complex, but you're right. Like it's a part of learning. And I think how else are you going to, it's like how you acknowledge in the beginning, you know, saying you body shame and saying that we're all a little racist and we're all a little sexist. Like maybe Victoria, you're going to say it and you don't know everything, but you're trying rather than staying quiet. (laughs) Exactly. Literally. That is it. And that is, I think that that we talk so much about allyship now. And I think so much the problem with allyship is thinking that there's this division between our individual selves and any other being that ultimately like we're all uh, in community together so that there's nothing really to ally with. Like you're already, if you're in community, you're 
fighting for yourself. You're fighting for your community. And like, I think that to actually ask those questions and to sit in the hard truth is how we support each other. And it's how we do the work. It's how we heal. It's how we move forward. But without it, everything else is just kind of a bandage on top of a deep infection. Mm -hmm. And to just say like, you know, maybe I do feel these things. Maybe I do feel uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe it doesn't. And then also to, it just offers so much compassion. It offers compassion for yourself and then in turn, compassion for every other human being around you to know that they're having the same experience. That person is feeling the exact same way about this and or they feel like they can't talk about it. And so for us to talk about it is so powerful and it just makes space for us to do the work that really needs to be done. It's so true. Wow. I'm just thinking about using a bandage on top of a deep infection. That is so illustrative and accurate. It, it is a thing. And we're all like, we all have the capacity to be a part of this healing journey. And ultimately, I think even if it doesn't look like, a, look like it on the surface, we're all doing the work in one way or another. But to just say like, yeah, you know what? I'm a part of the problem. And I, I do things that actively negatively impact other people. And I say the wrong thing and I hurt somebody's feelings to just accept that and to look at it fully leads to not doing it again in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, what else plays a role in this is especially that opinions and judgment of others and cancel culture. I mean, just even someone with a, a platform, like I have one, I, it's every time I go to repost or write something or whatever, I just almost have to sit there for 30 minutes assessing how is this coming across? Is this said mm-hmm. right? Is this blank that that it almost is emotionally easier to not. But then mm-hmm. I sit there like, God, I didn't do anything like which is worse. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's the fear of being canceled will silence everybody. Yeah. It makes it so that we don't talk about things that are difficult. You know, I wonder what it would be like if we didn't fear cancellation or if we knew that there was life after cancellation, that there's something to be said for. And that also, what does it mean for all of us to stand up and say the wrong thing together and do the wrong thing and make a misstep? And because this, there's this very interesting thing that happens whenever we just indiscriminately say like you're a bad person because you said this wrong it means that there's no space for growth there's no you can't go anywhere after that it's just like well that sucks so I guess that person doesn't know anything no they're they're learning and I think if we can all just sit in a place of being a beginner and knowing that beginners make mistakes and um and that we're all ultimately children and that children make mistakes. And if we can be show that kind of childlike sweetness and compassion for ourselves and then for each other, that will make more space for us to grow together. It's so it's so true. And I find that I actually have that compassion for others and that understanding for others. And I struggle to give it in the same way to myself. Do you ever feel that way? Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is that's really the practice. That's that's what yoga is ultimately pointing to, is that the work has to start with yourself on an individual level. And that from finding the understanding and acceptance and compassion for yourself, 
that's how you can share it with other people. But that without understanding it on a personal level, it's like impossible to share it with other people. So that when you think you're loving somebody else or you think that you're showing compassion for somebody else, but not showing it for yourself, you're not really showing them love and compassion. You're showing them an idea of that. And like, it's, it's something that I think is, deeply philosophical and complex and hard and also a day-by-day journey. And it's not something that like you just reach the end of the road. I feel like we're always looking for like a quick fix, you know, Mm -hmm. and say like, okay, so how many mantras do I need to say? Or like, how many days do I need to do this before I never have to worry about accepting myself again? And I think that the answer is that every single day of this life, you will change. And so on every single day of this life, you'll have to accept in a new way. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for coming on RealPod. I loved our conversation. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. And you're just such an amazing soul, even through Zoom. So thank you. I learned so much and I really appreciate you sharing everything with us. Thank you so much for having me. I've been honored and humbled to be here. And I hope that our paths cross again in the future. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.